our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we want to work on what the scripture says here in verse 10 about the working of miracles and then of the discerning of spirits. I'll just combine prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues on another occasion. But in 1 Corinthians, beginning with 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the spirit, the word of wisdom to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit and to another, the working of miracles. And then you can see to another discerning of spirits. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for uh, another opportunity to gather on this day and fellowship and hear the word of God. We're always pleased whenever we have an opportunity to be with the saints, to be with the redeemed company of the Lord. And as we look into the scriptures, give us insight for these things we pray in Jesus name. Amen. We, We have already shown you how that the the spirit of God uses people differently and all of these manifestations of the Holy Spirit function differently through different people. Everybody has a different personality, different temperament and so on and so forth. So the, the manifestation of Christ in the believer will be different. The, The operation of something will be different. When we talk about a miracle, we're we're talking about uh, God basically circumventing the laws that he himself made. And when it says the working of miracles, obviously this is an operation that the king is able to perform. I think everybody in here would love to be able to do one at will. It doesn't quite operate like that. However, we are told by the Lord to believe And of course, that's foundational to anything God will do for us in the future. Think of when God set up the heavens and the earth. Everything has order. There's there are arrangements and things like that. And so God did create what we call laws of nature and so on. So because of gravity and things like that, you toss something up, it's coming down. But uh, you need to know that God is bigger than the world that he made. And so if if he desires to intervene, then whatever laws he put in place, he can just step right in and do whatever he wants to do at that moment in that specific place. Even if other people in other places don't believe he's doing it, he's still able to do it. Now, by way of example, let's recall that the Bible says Jesus walked on water. Okay, now. You know as well as I do, water isn't designed to hold human mass. 
And so nobody naturally is just going to go walking out on a pond, on a river, or on a lake. But because of the story we have in the Gospels, Jesus prayed, spent time with the Lord in fellowship at night, and then he comes, meets the disciples who are trying to get to the other side, and he comes walking, and the Bible says he would have walked right past them. So obviously there's got to be a miracle taking place if he's able to do that. But with that miracle that took place from the Sea of Galilee, do you realize that uh, in other places in Israel, they didn't know that miracle had taken place. And that in Africa or parts of Europe, they didn't know Jesus had walked on water, but he did. So sometimes when, when we talk about supernatural things that God has done for us, we, we want to be mindful of the fact that when God does intervene and do something that we consider to be miraculous, it's not always for everybody on planet Earth, but for that specific group of people that he's ministering through. So again, in First uh, Corinthians 12 and 10, it's called the working of miracles. Now, there are different kinds of miracles. So let's turn to Acts chapter number three and just briefly mention this. Acts chapter three, you can see in verse number seven that there's a man who was crippled from his mother's womb. And in verse seven, they took him, Peter took him by the right hand and immediately this man was made whole. Okay, now that's that's pretty clear. Now, we could also then go into chapter four, where it says we know something happened because indeed a miracle of healing occurred. So healing is miraculous because that part of the body that cannot recover on its own needs God's help in order for it to recover. We know God made the human body to be able to heal itself, you get a cut, you get a scab, pretty soon, you know, everything starts kind of healing up. You get some kind of scar from when you were a child. By the time you're an adult, you can barely even see that scar anymore, but there's healing that has occurred. But what I'm talking about has nothing to do with any kind of doctor or, or nurse or anything like that. We're talking specifically about when God intervened and he healed someone. That's a miracle of healing. It's unexplainable because nobody could do it but God. That's that's what what we're after here. When Naaman comes to Elisha and he's got leprosy, I'm sure he's tried every kind of human cure you can think of and never got better. But he went to go see the man of God. And in seeing the man of God, he told him, go into the waters. Now, what kind of a cure is that? Go down to the river and dip seven times. If somebody would have told you to go dip seven times in the river, you would have thought the same way Naaman did. This man has lost his mind. He doesn't know who I am. I've got all of this gold and silver out here as gifts for him. He's not interested in my gifts. And he doesn't even come out of the house to talk to me. And so Naaman's servants had enough sense to say to him, if he told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Well, yeah. Well, all he told you to do was go dip in the water. So he did. And of course, I'm sure there's doubt and unbelief with each dip. But finally, when he comes up that seventh time, he's made whole. That's a miracle. That's that's an absolute miracle. But there, there are other kinds of miracles. Let's think about when Elisha 
was with his sons of the prophets. And they were like Bible college students. And they said to the man of God, this place where we're living is too small. And we want to go build us a bigger house, a bigger residence. So they went out there, started cutting down trees. And one of them, lo and behold, trying to cut down a tree. Then that axe head went right on out there into the river or the pond or something and went right to the bottom. And they said, man of God, this thing was borrowed. Well, I mean, everybody knows most things that anybody in Bible college owns is borrowed. I mean, it's just, they don't have a whole lot of money. Most of what they have, they're sharing with other people. And so the, the man of God said, show me exactly where the axe head was the last time you saw it when it went down. So they pointed out to him and Elisha went over, cut down a stick and went over there to where he saw that axe head go down. And then he tossed that stick in there. And the Bible says the axe head started to float. Now, you know, as well as I do, axe heads with the weight that they have are not going to float. So it has to be a miracle. When when the people were hungry, we're talking about the working of miracles. When, when the people were hungry, the disciples were told by Jesus. These people need something to eat, so give them something. Of course, they looked around at one another and said, we don't have anything to give these people. And, and if we had something to give these people, it wouldn't be enough. We don't have that much money to go and buy all of this kind of stuff. So, so Jesus said, okay, is there anything around here? And there's a little kid there. He's got some bread, some fish. He brings it to Jesus in front of everybody without a screen in front of him. There, there's no there's no hedgerow in front of him blocking uh, the, the vision of the people. He takes that little bit that he has. He offers it up to God. He says a prayer. He's, he's grateful and thankful to the Lord. Then he calls the disciples. He says, start giving to the people. Now, the disciples knew how much that little boy had. But coming out of Jesus hands, it just keeps flowing. That's a miracle. And he did this in front of everybody. Remember, there, there, there were no tricks involved. Nobody's pulling a rabbit out of a hat. They're all watching what Jesus is doing. And every time those disciples came back, do you realize there was more to receive from Jesus hands? And he had already organized, told them to organize the people in companies of 50s and 100 and so on. So they were organized to sit in order to be able to feed the people. So that was a. A great miracle. What about the time when they were complaining about, about Jesus' disciples not paying taxes or wondering who they should pay taxes to or whether or not they were going to pay taxes? And, and Jesus asked the question, let me see a coin that you have. He said, well, whose image is on that coin? They said, well, Caesar. So well, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give to God what belongs to God. Now he said, head on down there to the, to the shore. And he said, cast your line into the waters. And he said, when you pull that fish out, then I want you to just stick your hands right inside that fish's mouth. And then what comes out, you're going to go and pay, pay the tax, the tribute tax. So sure enough, that's exactly what the disciple did. Went down into the water and pulled out a nice big fish through his hands. And there, here comes a coin. Now, how did Jesus know the coin was there? Word of knowledge, word of knowledge. He, he, he knew the coin was, was there. But at the same time, wasn't it a miracle? How many thousands of fish could he have caught? But he caught the right one. 
Now, if you if you pay attention then to the little phrase in verse 10, the working of miracles, you'll see that in all of the examples that I gave, there was something that the believer was required to do. There was some kind of energy and effort, we should say, effort involved. If if the axe head is going to float, then somebody's got to throw a stick. If somebody's going to throw a stick, Elisha's got to cut it down. Okay. If if thousands of people are going to be fed, then there's got to be 12 disciples that go out there and arrange all of these people and put them in order. And they've got to be the ones to come back to the Lord's hands to receive the blessing that comes from him. And, and when it comes to the working of miracles, there's usually something we have to do. I mean, we have to believe. But but there's usually something else that, that's added on to that. We say, Father, we trust you. We believe that you can do this. And then God expects you then to follow in your faith in the direction where you believe the miracle is going to take place. It, it just he, miracles don't just happen. You know, you hear people say uh, very often that, oh, I want God to do this. I'd love for God to do this or that for me. But why does he need to? If you're not involved with anything that requires that, you see, it's just like if if you don't uh, if you don't drive a big truck or something like that or a bus, why in the world do you need a CDL? If you're just going to ride a moped. See, there's just there's just no reason for you to even be thinking in that direction. But a, a miracle is needed wherever divine intervention has to occur. Now, when we say we need to step out on a limb, we should step out on a limb because we understand that that out there on the limb, that's where all the fruit grows. See, that's that's where all the fruit grows out there on the branch. But if if you're going to just stay here and hug the trunk, then there's a very good chance that you're not going to see the miracle that you want to see come into a place of fruition. So don't ever be afraid to put your footprint in the desert in the direction God has told you to go. You'll never know what will happen until you make the attempt. You have to. You got to make the attempt. If you don't, then you won't be involved with with what we call the, the working of miracles. So God is doing the work of the miracle, but he's doing it through you. Now, all of us know that Moses was a man of God. Moses comes to the Red Sea and and Moses stretches his hand over the Red Sea with the rod. And and in the Bible, that's called the rod of God. So he he holds that up. And then, of course, the waters form into walls on either side. There's an east wind that blows through there, dries up the ground so that they walk across, not on muddy patches, but on dry ground. That's a miracle. Okay. Now we all know God is the one that did the miracle, but he did the miracle through Moses. You see, Moses had to get up there and hold the rod out. And that's when the miracle began. And it's the same thing for you, you and for me. If, if you want God to make use of you in this way, then you have to move beyond fear into this whole element of not being afraid to take risks. Yeah, yeah. People who are afraid of failure don't oftentimes experience failure because they don't try anything, but they very often don't experience victory because they're paralyzed by fear. 
uh, this this man, um, Alexander the Great, you know, he, he had this horse that he tamed. And Philip the Great, his dad, they had this this wild horse out there. Nobody could do anything with it. But Alexander the Great, when he was about 11 or 12, he saw all these men that could not break this horse. And he kind of made a wager with these gentlemen. He said, I can break this horse. And if I do this horse, this horse will be mine. Well, they laughed at him. You know, they, they went off to lunch, came back, though. And Alexander the Great was trotting around on that that horse bareback trotting around and and they couldn't figure out what happened. actually not bareback he put up put some reins around his head but they're trying to figure out how it happened well when alexander was observing how they were trying to deal with that horse they realized that horse was skittish because he was afraid of his shadow and every time he'd see a shadow then the images and all that would just make make him fearful and he was jumpy so he turned that horse so that the horse faced the sun and in facing the sun you couldn't see the shadow and when when the people came back he's up on there now he used that horse to gallop all across uh the eastern part of Europe all the way going towards India and when he got to where he was crossing over into India the people were kind of nervous because they had been at war and traveling for years now and hadn't been back home for a long time and they said well what's in it for us if we go out here and he said well there'll be bloody feet he said there'll be you know empty stomachs but he said there'll be the share in the greatest portion of wealth that anybody will ever find and he thrust that horse into the river and thousands of people followed him to a man as they went and conquered now, here's the thing. Here's a man didn't believe in God like we believed in God, but yet he believed in his own ability. And then he stepped out and did something wonderful and something great. What would happen if we believed in God's ability in us and through us? I, th- I think there's a verse in the Bible that says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Isn't that in there somewhere? Yeah. And, and, and I know that somewhere I've read been a while since I've seen it, but there's a verse that says something like if God be for you, who can be against you? So the the working of miracles is a possibility the moment you choose to step out there and move beyond the known. Move beyond the realm of the known, because the realm of the known is our comfort zone. This is what I know. This is what I'm familiar with. This is what makes sense to me. But if you want to see the working of miracles, then you've really got to close your eyes and walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know how this is going to work out, God, but I do know this. You'll be holding my hand and you'll walk me straight through all of this. See, so that that's how God 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 does this. Okay, so the the working of miracles requires us to believe. But at the same time, it requires us to be available to be used as vessels, to be used as vessels. And God will do different things uh, for us in in different ways. Uh, I love how Jesus does wonders. And when you read the gospel, you just shake your head sometimes. And you look at the Old Testament stories and you say, oh, my goodness, how in the world could they ever have believed God would do that? But God did. Yeah. Miracles of mercy, miracles of supply, miracles of abundance, miracles of guidance, some of the, the, the most powerful stories in the scripture have to do with how God guides people. Just no way on this earth 
anybody should have ever come in contact with this person or that person, but because of how God guided them. Think about the birth of Jesus when the wise men came from the east. You come from the east, you make your way all the way westward, and then you get to Israel. You know what city to go to, and it's all because you've got a light that's leading you directly to where to go. And then you get to where you are and you start asking questions. And pretty soon the rumors around the the area that you're asking questions, the king is saying, who in the world is this king you're talking about? And they refuse to give up any information. They step outside the palace. There's that light again. And the light led them all the way to the house where the child was. Now, how in the world can you come thousands of miles and make it to the exact house without the help of God? Miracles of guidance. So, so how, how has God guided you and how is he guiding you? And I think that, you know, we will be surprised uh, when we look back and see how a miracle comes together. There are two verses in Jeremiah right now. I can't remember the exact location, but there's a place where God spoke to Jeremiah and said, say this and do that. And then he did. And then it goes on in the chapter. And then later on, it says this. Then I knew that this was of the Lord. See, see, sometimes when when God is telling you to do something, you don't realize at the time how it's going to work out. Sometimes you might even doubt that it's God's voice talking to you. I've got plenty of stories like that where God told me to do something. And then when I look back, say, oh, my goodness, that really was God. Oh, my goodness. And it worked out well. Yeah, that really was God. So the working of miracles with miracles of guidance, miracles of supply. God ever supernaturally supplied anything for you? Yeah. But but when the supply came, I guarantee it came because you were having to be obedient to God. You can't just sit down in a chair and just expect miracles to just come over to where you are and just knock on the door. Say, hey, how you doing? My name is Miracle. Just wanting to know if you could use me right now. It, it doesn't work like that. No, you, 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 you're active. Everybody Jesus called to work with him in the ministry. If you, if you look at what they were doing before they were called, they were all busy. They were all working. They were all doing something. And God called them and they learned to go from being fishers, uh, fishermen to being fishers of men. So God will take your occupation and show you how to use it to do it in a spiritual way. You can reach people. See? And the whole thing about it is it, when, when you're learning how to cast lines and then when you're using different types of bait and then you're going after different kinds of fish and you're going to different areas in order to get the fish, just like in Hebrew, Arabic and Aramaic, the word for fishing has to do with hunting because it really is a skill to know how to do it. And God is able to transform us from what we had been into what we will be. But the whole process is the working of a miracle. It is transformation. It's working of a miracle. All right. So let's, let's work a little bit on uh, discerning of spirits, uh, different kinds of spirits. Of course, we can talk about angels and um, we can talk about uh, you know, the Bible talks about the, the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirits. So talking about people inwardly, what they are. The, the disciples one time wanted to call down fire, you know, on people in Samaria. 
And Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. Now, remember that phrase, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. They didn't know when they were saying that, that they were in the wrong spirit. Or they probably wouldn't have said it. They had no idea. They, they, they were just making a statement because they thought they, they could be like Elijah was, because that's part of the statement. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? So they thought by trying to compare themselves to to Elijah that they were actually being, you know, being somewhat smart. But but the Lord made it very plain to them. Absolutely not. I, I don't need you to be Elijah right here. See, Elijah's ministry was on that mountain and what happened on that mountain was important for what was going on in Elijah's circumstance at that time with the king who was being judged because he was seeking another God rather than Jehovah. But this is the problem with the Samaritans. They just don't want me to come through here and no, I don't want you to kill them all. Just because somebody doesn't want you to visit their village, that doesn't mean you need to be praying and saying, oh, God, slay them all. No, no. So Jesus discerned the, the, the kind of spirit that had gotten into their heads and were giving them bad thoughts. It's just like when, when Jesus was talking to Peter and, uh, and the Lord was saying, look, somebody's going to betray me. And Peter said, you've got to be kidding me. L- look at us. We're following you all around this, this head nation. Why in the world would somebody do that? And he said, here's the thing, Jesus. If all of these other scoundrels backslide, I'll be here with you. And he said, by the way, I just want you to know you can't leave us. No, you can't leave us. Don't be talking about leaving us. You've got to be here with us the whole time. So what does Jesus say to Peter when Peter said you can't leave us and these things are not so and it's not going to happen? Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. See, because you savor not the things of God. So that whole attitude of not wanting Jesus to leave didn't have anything to do with with the will of God, it had everything to do with sentiment. And selfishness. We don't want to lose you, Lord. But Jesus discerned it. Now, now, Pastor, are you saying Christians can be demon possessed? No, absolutely not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost if you're born again. And when you're born again, Jesus comes in and cleanses out that temple, takes up residence and occupies the throne of your heart. And the Bible makes it very plain that body of yours now is to be filled with that wonderful Holy Spirit. But he tells us, renew our minds, wash it, bring every thought captive. If you don't, then you make yourself susceptible to deception and delusion, and the devil is quite good at that. Yeah, and as you can see with Jesus' disciples, he can even deceive people that are walking with the king. Yeah, Happen, happens often. Yeah, happens often. Okay, so discerning of spirits. Let's go to Acts chapter number 8 and look at Philip in this revival in Samaria. In Acts chapter number 8. And it says in verse five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, we know it's God doing the miracles, but again, he's doing the miracles through a vessel. And this isn't giving glory to Philip at all. We, we know the source and the origin of the power. But Philip is the one that's yielding to the preaching 
of the gospel, the believing of the gospel. Verse seven, unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. So the gospels give us a lot of different references to spirits. And every spirit has its own attributes and qualities and powers. The reason this is such an important thing for the New Testament church is because from Genesis to Malachi, you don't have one example of anybody casting out a devil. Not one. And this is why when Jesus began to do it, they said, oh, my goodness, he's full of the devil himself. Because it was so unique, just like from Genesis to Malachi, you don't see any blind people healed. No demons were cast out in the Old Testament in the manner that we have with the Gospels. So in the Gospels, we read of unclean spirits, deaf spirits, dumb spirits. See, we do all these different kinds of spirits, spirits of infirmity and so on and so forth. It's important then for Jesus to know what he's dealing with when he's ministering to the sick. Because if you're going to minister to the sick, at least if you have some idea what you're dealing with, then you can minister towards that that issue and bring about healing because of the power of God. It's like if you walk into your kitchen and you know there's a problem somewhere uh, there in the kitchen, there's a smell or something like that. And you don't know what is emitting that smell until you can get to the source of it. How in the world are you ever going to fix it? You probably probably not. Yeah, probably not, because you can you can say, well, I'm going to move the refrigerator out and see if there's anything back there behind it may not be anything back there behind it. You still have the smell. And sometimes when 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 people hook up with a lot of different formulas where they're trying to figure out what's wrong with a person, sometimes these examinations just prove we don't know what in the world we're doing and we haven't discerned and spirit of God hadn't given us the ability to discern what's going on. So we'll tell people, say this, do that and that kind of a thing. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice. So an unclean spirit or any kind of spirit has an attribute and is looking for a physical body to which it can attach itself and through which it can manifest itself. Sometimes Jesus cast out spirits that that dealt with people's eyesight. They went blind. Now, every physical infirmity doesn't have to do with a devil and it doesn't always have to do with sin. They asked Jesus about a blind man one time who did sin this man. Or his parents, that he was born this way. People have questions about why people are born into the world with, with difficulties. But, but here, here's what I'm getting at. When you're praying for someone and ministering to someone, God, by the Holy Spirit, can reveal to you what exactly you're dealing with. Yeah, he can show you. And, and, and believe me, if, if he reveals it, he's going to heal that person. What, what, what he's not going to do is 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 play games with somebody, you know, and, and, and what we think sometimes is discerning of spirits is suspicion. So here, here's a here's a gentleman that doesn't get along with this gentleman and he doesn't get along with that gentleman. And so people say, well, I, I think he or she has a spirit of Jezebel. Not necessarily. They may not just like each other. That's all. That don't make an evil spirit. He, he just not obeying you on the job because he don't like you. He don't like your personality. That doesn't make it a Jezebel, Jezebel spirit. 
Jezebel had all kind of issues in her life. The only one wasn't that she wouldn't listen to people. That was just one of many. But an evil spirit, when that spirit is in manifestation, I can promise you, if, if light comes in contact with darkness, there is going to be some kind of manifestation there. There's going to be a flare, a flare up that's, that, that's going to happen because Satan doesn't want to be around God's people. He doesn't mind being around religious people. I have no doubt that people full of the devil go to church every week. And sit in the midst of people every week, just like in Jesus day, people full of the devil went to the synagogue and sat there week after week, heard Moses scroll read, heard Moses name over and over again. But there wasn't enough life in the synagogues to produce any kind of resistance that would lead to a manifestation of that evil spirit. But once he's made visible, then the Bible says in Mark chapter 16, in my name, you Cast him out. So you don't have to run around chasing behind uh, people to try to figure out what kind of demon you think is in them. I can promise you weird stuff will happen if you just preach the gospel. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I've definitely had crazy, crazy meetings just from preaching the gospel and, and never one time tried to find out whether anybody was was full of the devil. They come they they come down for prayer and we get ready to pray. Then, boom, here's something happens. Or you step onto the church grounds and then all of a sudden just all all kinds of stuff breaks out because of the powers of darkness. They know that they're going to have to set some captives loose because Jesus is about to step on the grounds and set people free. And there's that that kind of of manifestation. I told you about when I was in South America, in Peru, and was at an Assemblies of God church. Probably a thousand people in that place. I wasn't even preaching. I was just in the worship service. All of the service was in Spanish. But I knew enough words by then to be able to worship and just enter in and enjoy God. So here I am with, in this big mass of people. And it's me, then there's a person here, and then there's a lady over here. And in the middle of that praise and worship, then it kind of goes quiet. And once it went quiet, the lady over here, she gives an, an utterance in tongues. At least that's what I thought it was. She gave utterance in tongues. And, and then because I was worshiping God, had my eyes closed, I'm just waiting for the interpretation. But no interpretation came. So I then opened up my eyes and I looked and everybody was looking at me. And and the pastor, he 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 leaned over the pulpit. He was way back there. He leaned over that pulpit. He said, who, who are you? I said, well, I'm a missionary from the Middle East. And I spent years in the Middle East doing Arabic and preaching over there to, to Muslims and Christians over there. But God told me to come down here to South America. And I don't know why I'm here. And, and he said, well, that's not what that lady said. That lady said she didn't like your spirit. This is good. This is the conversation. He said this to me in English. This, this is the conversation we're having. And, and then I turned and looked at that woman. When I looked at her, she just shouted, ha, just like that and came at me, just came at me in the service, just fighting and trying to get at me. And of course, I'm shouting in Jesus name, come out of her, Jesus name, come out of her. And so these ushers are running as fast as they can to get to this woman and they're grabbing her and she's slinging them all around with no problem. And I'm still pointing at her in Jesus name, come out of her, Jesus name, come out of her. So we, I back her all the way up to the foyer of the church. 
And, and, and finally, she fell out on the uh, floor there. And, and I just stood over her, still rebuking her in Jesus name. And other ladies came along, just start praying in the spirit around her. And then this, this probably went on 30, 40 minutes. When it's all over, she gives her heart to the Lord. Okay. So who, who was this woman? Well, come to find out she was a, a local witch and would come and walk in front of the church and put curses on the church and curses on the Christians that were coming in. And they were terrified, but she came in contact with somebody who wasn't terrified of her. And she met somebody who wasn't afraid of her. Yeah. And, and I think that is exactly how you should be no matter what is taking place. You, you have to know that the name of Jesus can handle any circumstance, any circumstance. And, and, and the, these things have never seemed to stop in a lot of a lot of the, the crazy services that, that we, we have had. Uh, one time when Tiff and I were down in, in Mississippi and I was preaching a revival with someone else. In this, I don't even know if I was even preaching that night. I can't even remember. But but we get to the altar service and it's time to pray. And this is this is my wife's home church. And, you know, you don't want to bomb in your wife's home church now. OK, so I, 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 we get down there to start praying. And then all of a sudden, th- these these ladies, they just start falling back and then they're shaking and, and, and people just, you know, just thrashing and, and all of this stuff on the, all, in the altar, on the floor and all of this stuff taking place. And I mean, people crying and maybe a little foaming at the mouth. And, and I'm saying in the name of Jesus, come out, come out. And others are my brother-in-law. He's standing there. We're casting stuff out. Well, in the end, I, I just sat down. And uh, my brother-in-law and others were there. And that meeting probably lasted another two, two and a half hours. And ladies were getting up testifying about how they had gotten caught up in this web of lesbianism. And here they were set free in in an evening service. How did it get started in the church? One family in the church wanted to bring one lady into their home that needed a place to reside. That one young lady came into that house, introduced lesbianism to one of the daughters. And through them, it just spread through the whole church. I didn't know any of this. Then I came ministering Christ. When light hits darkness, there's going to be some reaction and some friction. It's just 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 the way way that it is. And, and I, I want you to know that if God reveals to you that this is what you're dealing with, then you've got to stand there and take authority over it. And by take authority, I mean, just stand in the authority that, that Christ has given to you, because we don't have any authority on our own. We say in Jesus name, come out of them. Preaching a camp meeting in Northern California. They had me in a, a trailer one night and they told me, they said, now, Daryl, do not answer the door for anybody in the middle of the night because people along the highway send their kids to the door to knock on it. And then when you open it, then they'll come in and they'll rob you and take everything you have. So that's what they told me. So we, we had a tremendous meeting that, that evening under that tent. And I went back to my uh, trailer, they just kind of passed out and, and was tired. And then I hear this knock on the door and I hear a small child's voice 
And I came over there and I said, how may I help you? And here's the little kid said, preacher, preacher, please come. We need your help. Could you could you come? Well, the first thing came to my mind was what they told me about them people out there along the highway. So I didn't even move. I didn't even bother to answer the door. I stayed right right there on the inside. And who knows what in the world I did. Might have talked to Tiffany on the telephone. I don't know. Went to sleep, got up the next morning, went to the main tent where we were having the breakfast. And when I sat down, they, they, some of the gentlemen said to me, said, Brother Daryl, did you hear the ruckus last night? I said, I didn't hear anything at all. What happened? They said, well, one of the teenagers had, had, had some manifestation of the devil, fell down on all fours and was up snarling everybody, foaming at the mouth and then just started rolling all around and all of this stuff. And we sent one of the little kids over there to your trailer to tell you to come help us. I said, really? Well, I said, what did you do? Then they told me they went and sent for a friend of mine. He was at that time probably 90. See, so they sent sent for him. He was there. He told me he went out there. The young man was there and the kids were trying to hold on to him. He just said, turn him loose and said, in the name of Jesus, you stop it. Shut up. Come out of him right now. Now, here I am sitting at the breakfast table and the young man that was full of the devil eight or nine hours before he's sitting there totally healed. Totally healed. See, totally healed by the power of God. I know that that in the body of Christ, God gives the church the ability to discern when they're dealing with the devil. Some people don't need you to go lay hands on them and pray. Some people need you to open your mouth and say, in Jesus name, come out of him. See, Come out of her. And it doesn't matter whether you whisper or whether you shout. It's not in volume. It's in the authority of Jesus name. I just happen to be loud and animated anyhow. But but everybody else isn't like that. And so let's return. Uh, let's look one more one more thing here. That's chapter 19. At least ought to mention something here in verse 11 where it says God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So, again, it, it is God who's doing the miracle. This in this case, miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance. And so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. So sometimes you can see people set free because of a cloth that is given to them. There have been plenty of times where in churches people have prayed over cloths and then people take those cloths home and put them in the pillow of somebody who's infirmed or tie it or sew it or stitch it to, to somebody's clothing and then deliverance comes to them. I don't know how many stories I've heard of, of things like that. But but the bottom line is the devil, he can't stay where he's told to leave. You see, and where the anointing of God is present in a very strong way. He just he has no authority. Look at verse 18. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts. We're talking about black magic here, brought their books together. See, they've got books and burned them before all men. Set them on fire. No sense in giving them to somebody else. Just burn them up. 
That's what they did here in this instance. And says in the price of it, as you can see, very expensive. But verse 20, mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Why did it prevail? Because it's strong. It's powerful. Yeah. So don't don't be afraid to be strong in your faith and know that God is strong inside of you. And when when people say to you, well, I'm just not sure that, you know, people today can have a devil inside of them or that they are demon possessed people. Then you just ask that same person, well, do, do you even bother to believe the Bible at all? There's a God. There's a devil. They're not equal. I can tell you that they're not equal in size. They're not equal in strength. But the fact that we have so much wickedness out here in the world today, that the devil is strong. And I'm sure that there are plenty of people who who become full of the devil because of what they see on that television. What comes across that computer screen, you see what they're looking at on that telephone and things, things like that. But deliverance can come to them in Jesus name. If we'll just believe. Yeah. So don't don't be surprised by uh, the things that we see. Just know that when God's power is in manifestation, good things, powerful things take place. You say, Pastor, is there a formula uh, for doing this? Do I need to get some water and pray over it? Do I need to get a big cross and hang around my neck and then get ready to hold the cross up to people when they're when I think that they're having some kind of experience like that? You don't need to do any of that. That's not going to deliver anybody anyhow. The well, only thing you need to know is whosoever called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved in Jesus name. See, stop it. Come out of them. Shut up. That kind of a thing and go from there. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to fellowship. And we're so grateful that you have put in your word all of these things that evidence your strength and your power. You certainly are behind the working of miracles. And we know that if there's any discernment of of the iniquity and the transgressive work of the devil, we know that you're able to help us to see. Give us understanding hearts. Give us discerning spirits. And Lord, help us to allow your power to be manifested through us in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.